Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Well, that's weird. The uh, I was fiddling around with this thing on my dashboard, um, and there's one little place that can show different things, like the temperature or the date. And I decided I'll put the date on because the temperature is also over there. And so I put the date on. I never know what the date is. Everybody, you know, anybody who's ask me what the date is i i'm good if i get the day of the week and forget the numbers um but i looked at it and i noted this will be good for knowing and my car dashboard said it was april 22nd i got in here and it says it's the 23rd it's the 23rd well i'll tell you what from now until I part ways with this vehicle, it will be one day off in the uh, in the date because I'll be damned if I'm going to bother looking into fixing it. Do you ever get around to those things? I never do. Um, okay, so uh, that's that. That is a, a way of avoiding starting the show <laughs> in any... Oh, God, Mondays! I'm sorry, I'm foggy. Uh, I'm still thinking about the beautiful weekend, which has continued. We have sun. Ladies and gentlemen, we have sun. Don't look at the forecast for tomorrow, but we have sun. It's wonderful. I mean, you saw people. People were all over the streets yesterday. It's sort of like blinking like bears coming out of hibernation. Blinking in the sun. Uh, way to go, pens. Although, frankly, Friday night. Anyway, way to go, pens. And uh, what what else is there that I haven't paid any attention to? Um, I'm sorry. You know, some days you're on, and some days you ain't. And uh, unfortunately, I don't think I am today. I I just can't uh, put two two words together. I I'm loath to jump in to this because I don't have anything that uh, makes you happy, and I really want to. Well, here's a thought. Um, I was reading something. Uh, about a, it was just a Q&A with an author. And he was asked, who is a person who has influenced you and your work? Um, and I was, and he said, this guy who's, you know, an older guy who's like, the first person he thought of when asked who influenced you and your work, he's written a number of novels, he says, my third grade teacher. Wow. Wow. I mean, that's really... And then he, he says she, she heroically taught eight classes 
in one room of a schoolhouse in Lucas, Texas. This was in cotton farming country. But she gave us a vision. She made history exciting, something we could be part of. Um, so here's a kid who would have been, what, uh, still in single digits, maybe, yeah. And when asked as a successful adult who is a person who has influenced you, he thinks back to a third grade teacher, Inez Smithy. And I always get blown away when I see uh, I see things like that because, well, for a number of reasons. We're seeing, is it today that the teachers in Colorado are walking off the job? Uh, they they have uh, they have uh, mandated a uh, statewide walkout. I'm not sure if it starts today. I didn't see anything in the news about it, so probably not. But I think. I thought it was. Um, teachers, so extraordinarily undervalued in our in our culture. The the preschool teacher, the kindergarten teacher, the first, second, the elementary school teacher, and these are the ones that it is probably true have the most impact. Not some college professor who droned on through lectures that you retain next to nothing from. Um, and yet that college professor gets paid a ton more money in all likelihood than um, these teachers at the, at the early end. And in fact, as usual, our, our culture gets it upside down. Those are the teachers that should be the getting the big bucks. Those are the the most influential in a person's life because it's when you're just getting formed and somebody who has the opportunity to mold you has a you know a much sort of virgin space to work in I and I have often myself uh, thought of of teachers who made a difference and I always come up with one who really blew my mind and it also was well it was in middle school although we didn't have middle school it was still in our elementary school we had kindergarten through eighth grade in the same school and uh, this guy to this day um, I think of I didn't like him I was afraid of him he was odd very odd and he left the school mysteriously I think he got fired not long after I had him. And I once tried to find him, look him up, and it came, came up empty, which takes some doing in this day and age, right? Uh, I mean, he had us do things that would not be allowed today. 
absolutely no way. And he did something when I was his student that I found out an outrage. But none of that takes away the impact that he had on me. Um, I have in my life been told I'm a good writer. Well, I thank Mr. Zweck because he he taught me. So I don't know how seventh grade. What are you? You're 13 years old. Seventh grade. He taught social studies, he taught, he taught social studies, which included history, and yet he taught me how to write. What an impact. When we studied Russia, he, he made us eat it, read it, taste it. He brought borscht to class. And I remember kids like gagging on this, you know, beet soup. And they were like, and he was like almost, he insisted, you know, you couldn't do that today. Like literally force feeding kids. Um, When we were studying Russia, we not only had this beet soup ladled down our throats, but we also were reading Turgenev. That's the one I remember. And books that I think would have been thought to be beyond that. I don't know. And then when he made us write, he showed us how to write. He was was brilliant. And he was frightening. When we studied Germany, he put a big German flag with a swastika on the back of the room. You, I mean, my God. Now, if that happened today, I would go home. I would tell my parents. My parents would call the school, demand immediately that that flag be taken down, and uh, perhaps that he be dismissed. And nobody ever did anything like that back then. <laughs> Although I suspect somebody, some parent somewhere, did say something that eventually got him canned. And yet, here I am, 60 plus years later, remembering him and being grateful to him and because he was so unique. I've told you the other, I think, Mr. Zweck story before because, again, I'll never forget it. I think he liked me very much. I was a very conscientious student. And I don't think he did this. Well, I think he did it because he liked me. But it was, I think it was the Alan Shepard flight, the first You'll have to check. It was either Alan Shepard or John Glenn. Um, And I think it had to have been Alan Shepard. It was the first time that we were seeing a a, a human being on a rocket being sent into space. And, you know, we were scared because the Russians were way ahead of us. We were trying to catch up to the commies. And... 
television stations were carrying it live. And Mr. Zweck brought in this little teeny television into the room. And he said, this is historic. You will remember this day. Um, and he came over to me and he told me to get out. <laughs> he said, I want you to... I want you in the hall. And I rem I said, what? He said, I want you in the hall. And he actually walked me out to the hall. And I said, but I, and he said, I want you to remember this day. And he left me in the hall and walked back into the class. I didn't get to see the rocket with Alan Shepard go up. What an odd, odd, odd man. But I think he was, he, he really wanted me to remember that day. And isn't it interesting? I don't quite, because I'm not sure if it was John Glenn or Alan Shepard, but I think it was Alan Shepard. And he knew that the way for me to remember it was to be denied. <laughs> it I mean how odd what an odd odd human being and I think I also as I look back I think he was gay and we didn't even know from gay then I mean it wasn't even something I wouldn't have known what a homosexual was I think as I look back and I start putting things together um, he was he was just this not the norm in any way. And I don't know what exactly got him thrown out, but something did. Could have been the gay thing, could have been swastikas, could have been force-feeding kids food they didn't want to eat. I don't know. But man, did you learn. And we would not allow a teacher that to do any of that today. So, I'm just saying, and you could do something my brother did about 10 years ago, because the teacher that he always thought of as influencing him so much was a science teacher in the same school in 8th grade, 7th and 8th grade, Mr. Schlender, <laughs> and he was amazing, and I had him too, but my brother tracked him down and uh, and thanked him and said, I don't know if you would remember me, but boy, I remember you. And I just want to thank you. That'd be a great thing to do. I'm sure I've waited too long because uh, anybody who taught me is in those early years is likely dead. But boy, what a great thing to do. I'm just saying. Yeah? You got someone in your life that that had some extraordinary impact and you think of them every once in a while, but you never told them? I can't imagine what would be more gratifying for a teacher than to get a letter like that from a student. Really. All right, I'm done. I'm sorry. 
Um, I'm going to clean, do some house cleaning here. I've been carrying around some stuff that somehow I just never got around to sharing with you, but I, I felt strongly enough about it that I never threw it out, even though it's getting a little moldy, like this thing, which is over a month old. Um, and I had wanted, when I saw it, to share it with you, but never, as I said, just never seemed to slip it in. I'm slipping it in today, in part because I did see something that reminded me about it. Um, it was an article in the the New York Times uh, talking about how Republican candidates around the country for Senate, for um, for Congress, are not running away from Donald Trump. They are, I mean, embracing him and out-trumping Trump and trying to be Trump. They are showing their authenticity by being crude and rude. It's just amazing the lessons people learn, right? And, I mean, if you think, uh, we've seen that here already. didn't work too well for him with uh, Rick Saccone in the uh, congressional, uh, 17th Congressional District special election here that saw Rick Saccone uh, defeated in an overwhelmingly Republican district by a Democrat, Connor Lamb. And he had said, I was Trump before Trump was Trump. Uh, it didn't work. He's running again in another district because of the the redrawing of uh, district lines. Um, but in this article, the, one of the first people that they brought up is the guy that I've been wanting to talk about, but didn't find time. And this is also you know, semi-local race because we are so close to West Virginia here in southwestern Pennsylvania. And uh, this is somebody who is running for the Senate uh, in West Virginia as a Republican hoping to unseat Senator Joe Manchin who used to be the governor of West Virginia, but then was elected senator, as a Democrat in probably the reddest state in the Union, which is West Virginia now. I don't know that any state went more for Donald Trump than West Virginia. I'd have to check it, but I think that may be true. And yet, all of those people voting for Donald Trump uh, also did put Joe Manchin in the Senate uh, six years ago. Uh, Joe Manchin is one, considered one of the, I guess, vulnerable uh, Democrats facing re-election. One of the reasons you hear that to take the Senate back from the Republicans is almost impossible since almost all of the senators that are up for re-election in this election cycle are Democrats. I mean, overwhelmingly, they're Democrats, something like 26 of them or something. I don't know. And very few Republicans are having to defend their seats. And many of the Democrats who are defending their seats are f representing states that went sometimes overwhelmingly, like West Virginia, for Donald Trump. So these are openings, actually, for Republicans to gain seats in the Senate, even as it's widely assumed 
that the Democrats will take back the House. Who the heck knows? So there are three men running to be the Republican nominee in West Virginia. And Trump, when he made a recent appearance in West Virginia, was flanked by two of them. And he didn't, as far as I know, endorse either, but he was he was giving both the opportunity to be seen with uh, him. He spurned a third. And the third is very possibly going to win <laughs> the Republican nomination. It's not it's not clear. But the other guy who is running to be the Republican candidate taking on Joe Manchin is an, a guy whose name you should recognize. It is Don Blankenship. Don Blankenship. He's the guy who should have gone to jail for the rest of his natural life, but ended up getting lucky and went to jail for only, I believe, a year. He hasn't been out very long, and he is, in fact, still on probation. One of the reasons the establishment Republicans don't want Don Blankenship running, they've already seen how it went with Roy Moore. They're thinking, we don't need an ex-con on probation representing uh, the Republican Party. Blankenship, as you will recall, uh, was the owner of the coal mine, coal company, that... Uh, saw 29 of its miners killed. Um, and it was largely uh, understood in that um, deadly... Why am I blanking on the name of that mine? That he was somebody who flouted, who disregarded all the federal safety uh, regulations, Massey Energy. Massey Energy was his company. And, I, I mean, there was so much evidence that he should be responsible, literally, for the deaths of those 29 people. But he got lucky spent a year in jail, and when he came out, he immediately, because he's rich as hell, started running ads all over West Virginia in an effort to rehabilitate himself, and instead uh, suggesting that in some of the spots, he goes after Barack Obama <laughs> and Joe Manchin, and suggests that they have blood on their hands, that they somehow were responsible, that they were part of a conspiracy to imprison him. Uh, it's, it's absolutely extraordinary.
but he's running ads, ads, ads because of all the money telling uh, West Virginians that he is essentially Trump incarnate. And they know he is. They know Blankenship. They know him very well. And it could well be that he's going to beat the other two that Trump wanted to help and and manage to wrest the Republican um, nomination. The primary is coming up uh, shortly, I think in a few weeks, May, May 8th. And if he is to win Blankenship, I think that would mean that Manchin's got a good shot at re-election. I don't know. I'm just saying nobody knows because West Virginia voters are, I don't know, out of their cotton-picking minds most of the time. But, and you would think that blank, I don't know. How would West Virginia, I mean, the guy's responsible for the deaths of 29 minors. And yet he's popular by virtue of his unrelenting, unapologetic pugnacious attitude that somehow passes as masculinity in the heads of a lot of people. Extraordinary. One of his campaign ads right now says, we don't need to investigate our president. We need to arrest Hillary. God. And to think that would make people vote for him. Scapegoating works. Doesn't have to make any sense. It just works. And the fact is, he's because the establishment doesn't want him, because Trump and the Republican Party is trying to distance themselves from him, it could well play in his favor, favor uh, that he is instead a, a maverick and somebody... I, I don't know. So anyway, I wanted to sort of alert you to his candidacy. I mean, what kind of a shameless jerk do you have to be to have the blood of 29 people on your hands? To refuse to even acknowledge that. To say that you are the victim to come out of a prison sentence and using your money while still on probation attempt to get to the United States Senate. Well, I got to tell you, the Republicans in the Senate want Don Blankenship there as much as they wanted Roy Moore there, and they didn't. But they have this cast of characters of such ill repute and often criminal ill repute that carry their banner whether they want to acknowledge it or not. I would think Manchin is rooting for I would think 
is rooting for Blankenship to win because um, I think it would be pretty, I don't know, in an election, while the Republicans in uh, West Virginia may, in fact, vote for him, I can't imagine that in the whole state that they would want him to represent them in the Senate. I don't know. Well, they wanted Donald Trump. I don't know. I don't understand any. And you know who else is running? I just read this. Again, Republican. Um a guy with no experience, okay, no experience, he's never even run for dog catcher, but he sees an opportunity. And he sees an opportunity because his brother, not him, his brother attained a certain level of importance and name recognition. And so he's thinking, I'm cashing in. I'm getting myself to the Congress. And this guy's name is Greg Pence. Yeah, he is the vice president's brother, Greg Pence. And he is running in a very safe Republican district in Indiana, where his brother is from as well. And he actually, he has refused all interviews. He's never attended a candidate forum. He doesn't really, he is that dismissive of having to in any way prove himself worthy of someone's vote. He's just figuring there it is, Pence on the ballot. And I know most people don't pay any attention. And they're going to see Pence and R, and I'm in. I'm in. Now, he also has a primary to get through. He only has one serious challenger. But it's unknown whether that's going to be enough. Listen to the hubris of this Greg Pence, who says that he is running because he is an entrepreneur and a Marine. That he has run a business and he is a former Marine. And, that's, and he also said this in the only interview he has done. He said this. I look in the mirror and say, if not me, who? Good God. Can you imagine? He shared that. He hasn't shared much else, but he shared that. I look in the mirror and I say, ah, if not me, who? Anyway, so he, if he makes it through the primary, he's in the Congress. And by the way, as a business executive, uh, he drove a business uh, totally into the ground, uh, bankrupt, and uh, ended up being assessed over $8 million in penalties by the state of Indiana 
for the environmental damage caused by his company that he ran into the ground. So that's the business executive um, uh, part of him. Unbelievable. Also, he found himself on a, a local bank board, and um, he was forced, well, the bank had to sue him. <laughs> the other, it's not often that uh, a board of directors agrees to sue uh, one of their own members, but in this case, they had to sue uh, Greg Pence because they were trying to recover $4 million in debt that he had personally guaranteed. And uh, unfortunately, it didn't work out well for the bank. They ended up recovering mere pennies on the dollar. So this is Greg Pence, whose claim to fame is his brother got somewhere, and he ran a business into the ground, and he was fined by the state for polluting uh, the state, and he thinks he should be in the Congress of the United States and could well be because he looks in the mirror and says, if not me, who? Oh, dear. <laughs> I don't think you can find a woman... Uh, who's not told to smile all the time. Women are constantly told. I, my dad told me when I was growing up, you have such a wonderful smile. You And, and believe me, that meant something. So I, my life, I have been smiling my way through my life, trying to, understanding that people loved my smile, and so I should smile. And this is part of, I think, what gets pounded into girls' heads is that people like you when you smile, when you are pleasing to their sight, in their sight, right? And so women have just learned in many, many ways to make people feel good by smiling all the time. And I read a piece yesterday that had a headline that is why I read the piece, because it was called My Smiling Boycott. And it was written by a woman um, who decided she would try to spend a few days refusing to smile, no matter what. To be a woman in America going through life without smiling at people. And you know what? She couldn't do it. She couldn't do it. She failed. She didn't even get through the first uh, the first afternoon. And she had wanted to gauge people's reactions to her not smiling. And quickly she began to see that people looked offended. People looked hurt. Uh, she felt rude. And so she just... She couldn't. And she said, it turned out that forcing myself not to smile <laughs> was harder than forcing myself to smile all the time. 
that the smile is easier than not smiling. And she decided it was a very particularly uh, American thing. And that if you travel in almost any other country, people don't smile like we do. They do not. And they don't consider it rude. It's just a whole different... I don't know. And I don't know that we can figure out why that is. We don't. We are different Americans in our constant smiling and have a nice day and that kind of stuff. It is not something that you find in other countries. We have a call. <coughs> Caller, hi. Hi, Lynn. Hi. Uh, this is Jeff from Green County. Hi, Jeff. Um, backing up to what you were talking about with uh, Blankenship. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think he's got too much of a chance. Cause, um, in the primary? You know, it, wait, in the primary? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Or, well, even if he makes it through the primary, I mean, no matter what, um, West Virginians don't really have a good track record with, uh, you know, coal company owners, you know, because there's like decades and decades and decades of mistrust between them. That's what I would think. Yeah. That's what yeah. I would think. So, and yet the, 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 yeah. I'm reading stuff saying that the Republicans are very nervous about him. Yeah. I don't think they have that much to worry about, really. Um, I mean, yeah, he's sounding like Trump and everything, but I I, I don't know. I, it just seems kind of overblown to me. Uh, you mean to say, are you suggesting that media overblow things? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, but, yeah, <laughs> well, I'm I, glad to hear it. I mean, I'm glad to hear what you're saying. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, West Virginia is kind of conservative, yeah, but it's like, it's, they're more like mansion conservatives, you know, the Democrats, Democratic conservatives, I guess you could say. So it's, it's going to be like conservatives, if I guess. Yeah. Can put it that way. Like I a, mean, there's, it's not as red as you think it is. Okay. So they so, were they they yeah. just couldn't vote for Barack Obama because he's black, or Hillary Clinton because she's white. I mean, woman. woman. Uh, sometimes. Uh, I mean, it depends on the race. Um, I don't know, but uh, you'll find even like where I'm, where I'm at. I mean, we voted for Trump, but we also have. Uh, like our state representative is a Democrat, so and who we had for uh, a few years for here uh, for uh, our representative was a Democrat. So we had even for a while we had uh, oh what's his name? Um, oh, you had the speaker of the wasn't he from Greene County? Yeah, um, um, the guy who ended yeah, up in jail. Yeah. He was, uh, who is that? Yeah, that pow yeah. powerful guy who ended uh, up in jail. Yeah, and I can't remember. His I name. can't either. Yeah, I remember that. But uh, the one with uh, thinking, with with the way who used the big words all the time. Who the hell is that? Deweese. That's it. De Deweese. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. We right. had him, and uh, huh. yeah. I'm trying to think of the 
member of U.S. Congress that we had that originally came out for the Iraq War and then came out against it, which I was going, yay. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean... Yeah, okay. We got our... Okay, we so... We got our, like... All countries got its, good, like, democratic side, too. So. Okay. Well, I but, just hope, because uh, you're... you're, you're, you're I, th- I think the mansion's pretty safe, because he's pretty popular down there. He was a popular governor when he was down there, and I think he's he's pretty safe in that seat. Okay. I'm hoping. I hope you're right. Thank you. Appreciate the call. Okay. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye. That's our Green County uh, correspondent, I guess. Uh, Yeah, DeWeese. What a character that one was. Anyway, so back to smiling. It turns out that Canadians and Americans smile more than anybody. So it's a North American thing. And this person, this article, posits that it's because both Canada and the United States are relatively new countries, right? And they are countries that pretty much genocided the native population. (laughs) And they are countries made up then of people who came in to those countries. You know, that's unlike, you know, European countries where the French were the French and the Germans were the Germans. And both Canada and the United States were settled by people from other places who spoke different languages, and one of the ways that people who don't necessarily speak the same language is through, you know, smiles and and, and, and body language. So that's one, I mean, I don't know, these are just people making things up because they don't know. But there was a study done just two, two years ago that truly showed that Canada and the U.S., have people that smile more than those in other countries. (laughs) And I'll tell you what, I'll tell you, I can't speak for the Canadians, but it ain't because we're happier. That's not it. So there's something cultural involved. And I don't know. It's also known about smiling, two other things known about smiling, that the more corrupt a society is, the more its citizens see smiling as suspicious. (laughs) They see someone smiling and they see in that smile treachery. That's interesting. So in a corrupt society, smiling is looked at with suspicion. Scientifically, it is known that if you force yourself to smile, by virtue of the muscles being used to pull your, you know, your face up into that smile, your brain gets certain signals, ah, they're smiling. 
And that then is interpreted in the brain as being happy. So it has been proven that when you force a smile, you don't feel like smiling, but you smile, you end up feeling better <laughs> and producing perhaps actual feelings of happiness. It's, one of the, it's, it's very akin to other studies showing that people who get Botox, mostly women, People who get Botox injections, who then end up, it ends up sort of like freezing, <laughs> the, paralyzing the, the, the muscles around the mouth and the eyes, so that when they smile, they can't quite do it. It doesn't, their eyes don't twinkle anymore, the smile doesn't quite work. And because of that, it is found that people who've gotten a lot of Botox don't feel as much, what is this? Am I remembering this right? They, they don't feel as happy. They don't feel as much empathy. They don't, I mean, their emotions get frozen too. I don't know. Oh, and speaking of um, looking different in Botox and plastic surgery kinds of things, um, did anyone see Kellyanne Conway yesterday? Uh, someone pointed it out to me that they had watched some Sunday show that she'd been on and uh, that she didn't look the same and that clearly something had happened to her eyes and even her face. And I, I happened to see um, a Twitter thing that had her on it. It wasn't talking about that. And yeah... Oh boy, Kellyanne had some uh, had some work. So now her face doesn't look like it used to. She definitely had like bags taken out from under her eyes, and I think something pulled up here. She still looks essentially like the awful human being she is. But uh, but yeah, clearly had some work done. Just wanted to say. Uh, one other thing about smiling that I got from this, which I th found interesting, that. Uh, when Walmart opened its first uh, store in Germany, uh, it found that its requirement for employees in the United States did not work <laughs> for the employees in Germany. Because if you work for Walmart in the United States, you are told that you are supposed to smile at customers. Always smile at your customers. And the Germans, like, freaked. They, I mean, just showing how this is a cultural thing. They thought, what? I mean, we're supposed to be smiling at these strangers we don't even know? And they were able to explain to the Walmart folks that that doesn't work here in Germany because our smiling at these people is misconstrued it doesn't look friendly it looks flirtatious so Walmart scrapped it they said all right don't smile don't smile because otherwise I mean I guess in Germany customers would say that they were being sexually harassed <laughs> by 
by the employees who they were flirting with me all the time. They kept smiling at me. Odd, huh? I don't know why Americans smile as much, but we are. It's got to. It'd be interesting to try to get closer to why that is. I don't know that I'm buying the we're all immigrants thing, and so we smile as a way of communication. Um, I don't know. But I, I find it interesting that one woman trying not to be the nice, smiling woman couldn't do it. And I, don't, I know I couldn't. I couldn't simply because I, it would feel rude. It would feel really rude. And I think when I encounter people who don't smile, I don't, it's hard for me to like them. It's weird. I don't know. Anyway, I look forward to other, uh, finding out some, some more about why that is. Chuck, aw, Chuck, I didn't mean to irritate you. I am very much irritated by the story of the teacher, Mr. Zweck, who kept you in the hallway while other students were watching the launch. As I listened to your story, I was fully predicting the end of the story would be that he would say something prophetic like, you are a woman, get used to being left out. No, that wasn't it at all. But the fact that he gave you no reason completely blows my top. Maybe he wanted you to speak up and argue and fight your way back into the class. I don't think so. Uh, you could never. I was so dutiful then. I, I, he said, I want you to remember this day. That was his reason. He did give me a reason. No, it was a very mean thing he did. I agree. And yet I think kindly of him. Isn't that weird? I don't know. Oh, Barbara. Smiling can trick the body into helping you elevate your mood because the physical act of smiling actually activates neural messaging in your brain. A simple smile can trigger the release of neural communication, boosting neuropeptides, as well as mood-boosting neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin. Think of smiling like a natural antidepressant. Smiling can also boost your overall health. The act of smiling actually helps the human immune system to function more effectively. It is thought that when you smile, immune function improves because you are more relaxed thanks to the release of those neurotransmitters and the serotonin and all that kind of stuff. In addition to taking precautions like washing your hands, why not try to prevent colds, flus, and anything else by smiling? I love that. Well, there. I think we Americans are on to something here. So... Smile though your heart is breaking. Smiling. Okay. The other thing um, I want to talk about, I you know rarely agree with anything Ruth Ann Daly writes, but boy, she got me thinking today. Uh, she wrote a piece in the in the Post Gazette, and she told me something I that had somehow missed my uh, view. It's this: Brian Davis the play-by-play announcer for the NBA's Oklahoma Thunder, was suspended for one game last week 
because he exclaimed after a thrilling but risky move that guard Russell Westbrook must be out of his cotton-picking mind. That's what he said. My God, Westbrook, out of his cotton-picking mind to be doing that. He was suspended for that. Now that blows me away because I find out by reading her piece that cotton-picking, Westbrook is black, the announcer's white, and by using cotton-picking, which the slaves had to do, it was deemed a racial insult. Whoa! Twitter erupted. The guys immediately suspended for a game. I got to tell you something. That blows my mind. I didn't know. I've said cotton picking. Not a lot. Sort of an old kind of a phrase. But I never saw it as racist or derogatory. And I was, and her thing is all of that, uh, you know, people not meaning any offense. You mean we can't say cotton picking anymore? And it made me think about, uh, it was very soon after I'd come to Pittsburgh, I was in the newsroom at WTAE, and one of the, I think it was a producer, it was a woman producer, somebody I liked, she said in the course of conversation, yeah, so I Jewed him down. And I, I was so stunned. I had never heard anybody say that. I immediately, I'd never heard it. I, I immediately understood what she was, I mean, clearly in context, she was saying she got a cheaper price. And the verb she used was Jude? Had never heard that. I can't believe I got to the age of, you know, 30-something and had never heard that. And I was, I mean, I was just sick about it. And then I thought, my God, she's an anti-Semite. And then I thought, no, she's not. She probably doesn't even occur to her that my reaction to that is not the same. But, and frankly, I do not remember saying something to her. I don't. I don't know that I didn't, but I don't remember that I did. I I was too busy dealing with my own shock. But I would think that nowadays somebody who understands the derivation of that word, who doesn't want to appear to be an anti-Semite, would not use the word Jude in that way. So does that mean I shouldn't now ever use cotton picking? Not that I do, but does that, I really don't know at what point we start getting crazy. I, I didn't realize that the word jip, which is something I used, sort of like Jude and gypped, uh, gypped, derived from gypsies. He gypped me, gypsies. They're supposed to be, you know, and Jude, me down. Those are two stereotypes of two entire peoples, two peoples that, by the way, were targeted for extinction by the Nazis, because when you're a people that has been subjected to this cartoonish stereotyping forever and ever and ever, you cease to be wholly human. You become vermin, right? So 
I, once I realized that where Jip was coming from, I never said it again, ever. But, and and then I saw, it, it, I don't know why all of this happened today. I saw that Trump on his tweet storm this weekend called again Chuck Todd's the sleepy-eyed Chuck Todd. And there was all this hoo-ha on Twitter about sleepy-eyed being anti-Semitic. And again, I'm a Jew. I never heard that. It is. And then somebody clearly showed how in Nazi Germany they actually put out pamphlets on how to spot a Jew, how to know a Jew. And it was all these just physical traits, you know, dark curly hair, large nose, full lips, something about our ears. And and it also said that we had sleepy eyes. I, and first of all, I didn't know Chuck Todd was a Jew. He is a Jew. Chuck Todd? He doesn't look Jewish. Anyway, so... People were saying that the president using sleepy-eyed Chuck Todd was again doing dog whistles to all of his alt-right fans because even it, or or that even if Trump doesn't know it, someone in the White House knows it because they're I don't know, sleepy-eyed. So as we start finding all these things out, I mean, do you immediately start policing your Vocabulary, if you know something causes offense to somebody else. Uh, Ruth Ann brings up another thing. The word gorilla, G-U-E-R, you know, like gorilla fighters. Now, I know a million people who, when Vietnam started and we heard about the gorillas fighting there, and we knew it was a jungle, we just thought it was literally gorillas, you know, primates fighting. I did. I misunderstood it. Uh, but apparently the word gorilla, she says, G-U-E-R-I-L-L-A, is from the Spanish for the citizen soldiers who fought against Napoleon. I did not know that derivation, but that's it. That's where gorilla comes from. And it also is used in the tennis world, this I did not know, to describe aggressive tennis moves and that's been going on she says for a couple of decades some kind of guerrilla move by the and she says that a white announcer used it to describe venus williams hey she's playing some newbie playing i don't know oh some real guerrilla moves there and some people heard it as gorilla saw it as a racist comment about venus williams and this guy was fired by ESPN. Which again reminds me of somebody a long time ago using the word niggardly, meaning penny pitching, right? Which has no, you look at the derivation of niggardly, it has nothing to do with the N-word. It has nothing to do with any stereotype. I mean, niggardly, you would think, oh, that's one that would belong to the Jews, right, if it has to do with pinching pennies. 
No, it has no, the derivation has nothing to do with that because the person used the word niggardly and a whole bunch of people who don't have much of a vocabulary assumed it to be a racial stereotype. Um, I think that person got canned too or something. What At what point are these things legitimate? Like I think Jude and Gypped, it's legitimate. Lose them. Is cotton picking legitimate? Because... As Ruth Ann points out, her mother was from a large and rather poor family in Texas, and her mom picked cotton as a little girl all the time. She was a cotton picker. But I, I, I'm willing to, I, I just don't know. It got me all mixed up. But the niggardly thing and the gorilla thing, is the cotton picking thing like that? I mean, I, it's just, again, this thing where we're so quick to take offense. I know I'm over. Um, but I'm just going to fill you in on the emails I got here. Margaret says, I love laugh lines on someone's face. Yeah, I do too. It makes them look nicer. But some women just see them as wrinkles. Uh, Josie says, while in Moscow, I was told smiling for no reason is viewed as disingenuous. I was advised to not smile at strangers. See? Oh, my. Well, they live in a corrupt society. <laughs> so, but I got news for you, so do we, in large part, too. But, okay. So, yeah, w Americans go over to Europe and other places, and we just grinning our behinds off, as usual. And people are looking at us and thinking we're 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 nuts or we're uh, underhanded or we're up to no good or we're I don't know. Barbara says here's another one Indian giver. Yeah, an American expression used to describe a person who gives a gift and later wants it back. <laughs> oh yeah, like where'd that come from? Is that Native American? Like they gave us a gift and wanted something in return? Ha <laughs> ha! Oh, man, I don't think that's really what played out, did it? Uh, yeah, so that's, that's another one, an Indian giver. What about a Chinese fire drill? I never understood what that was either. But are all those words, I, I don't know, I took this up too late in the show. Maybe we'll bring it up tomorrow a little bit because I'm I really don't know at what point um, this becomes silly and on the other point where it is truly something that a a kind person would want to pay attention to I I don't know I am flummoxed okay guys that's it I went over get out side if you can today and enjoy that blinding sunlight. It's wonderful. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.